Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you back. It's great to be back. Going to have a short episode for you here today, but we're going to talk about some stuff and we're going to expand on some things that we've talked about previously. In some part, you know, it's what the founding fathers were trying to accomplish here in the United States. I talked about the shadow of the empire in the previous episode. Uh, also, what I refer to as this dark cloud that follows the British empire around still to this day. And it still follows around every other branch of the British Empire, the United States included, because uh, the United States is a branch of the British Empire, as I said in, a pre- in the previous episode. Some folks may disagree with me on that, but uh, it's really hard to argue that when you actually crack open a history book and you read it. Now, imagine my surprise, you know, because the Founding Fathers, the whole point to the United States was to separate itself from the shadow of the empire, as I describe it. That was the whole point. Because the empire just simply wouldn't see reason. It chose tyranny over freedom and liberty. So the United States said, we're done. Enough of this. Uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna take it anymore. Imagine my surprise when 250 years later, I hear things like, and I'm not surprised by the way, in case you're curious, somebody's gonna be like, oh my gosh, Roman, are you actually surprised by this? No, I'm not. But, um, 250 years later, People start saying things like, well, the United States has to catch up with the rest of the world. The United States has to has to catch up with where the rest of the world is at. The rest of the world is doing this, that, and the other thing over here, and the United States of America has to catch up. Really? I think it's the other way around. I think it always has been. I think the rest of the world needs to catch up with the United States. Now, this is usually this is said in a lot of a lot of ways, but most what I'm referring to specifically is liberty and freedom. What people are saying is, is that the United States needs to catch up with the tyranny of the rest of the world. When in reality, I firmly believe that the rest of the world needs to catch up with the United States' freedom and liberty. Does that make sense? Because in many ways, the rest of the world is a much darker place than the United States. We've talked about that in some respects before. And no, the United States is not perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. But at least here in the United States, um, you have freedom of speech, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, amongst other things in there. Religion, so on and so forth. There, there's... There's a bullet list in, in the First Amendment. We've talked about most of that. But freedom of speech is a big part of that. And in other parts of the country, or excuse me, in other parts of the world, rather, and in some parts of the United States, apparently, uh, you don't have that. You can't just say what you want, because if you do, it might be considered uh, too incendiary. We've got to shut you up. We've got to quiet you down. Or it might be considered hate speech. You know, you, you offended somebody's delicate sensibilities, so we've got to try to shut you up. And they're trying to do that in the United States as well, not, not necessarily in a legal sense because the First Amendment prohibits that. They're trying to do it elsewhere. They're trying to do it in business. They're trying to do it in politics. They're trying to do it everywhere they possibly can. That's basically people saying the United States needs to catch up with the rest of the world's tyranny. So the rest of the world has this tyrannical view of speech, oppression, and they're saying that the United States needs to catch up with that. Are you kidding me? And actually, they're no, they're not. They're not kidding us. Uh, that is to say, you and me. They're actually being quite serious when they say that. They actually do deliberately intend to force the United States to catch up with the tyranny of the rest of the world. I personally believe that that's, that's a mistake, and it's because of what the Founding Fathers intended. I think the Founding Fathers would be rather alarmed at this concept that the United States should catch up with the tyranny of the rest of the world. 
because they they engaged in a protracted battle, a war, where a great many people died so that they wouldn't have to do that. I mean, if that was the goal of the United States, we never would have left the British Empire to begin with. We would have let those soldiers leave Boston, go out into the countryside, steal property, murder people, arrest people, ship them back to Great Britain or wherever, maybe Canada, uh, for an illegal trial. We would have just let it happen. But that's not what the Founding Fathers did. So you know, based upon that, that the whole genesis of this country was to remove itself, to extract itself from that kind of tyranny, and to put as much daylight between itself and that tyranny as possible, not to go walking back into it. Something else I hear recently, I hear this in various ways, and this might sound familiar to you, that the United States has a culture of freedom and liberty. A culture of freedom and liberty. Like, like freedom and liberty is some kind of a cultural construct that can change with the wind. Like the Bill of Rights, for example. That represents a quote-unquote culture of freedom and liberty. Now, this, is, this again is the uneducated people amongst us, and unfortunately, being uneducated is rather in vogue these days. For some reason or another, it became popular sometime within my lifetime to basically be stupid, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. I don't know why, but it is extremely popular to be stupid. Uh, you know that because just, just look at society, look at the way people talk, look at the way that people handle themselves, and it becomes abundantly clear that that is indeed the case. I made a reference recently, you know, like w when we read these letters from the Founding Fathers, the language, the way they put their words together is so far above how we put our words together in this day and age. There's enough of a contrast there, you can tell the difference. And I said that, you know, a lot of the writings from today, specifically like social media writings, which unfortunately dominates the uh, modern discourse, in comparison with what the Founding Fathers wrote, it sounds like caveman talk, like the chicken scratches on, on the cave of some, uh, so, of so, the dwelling of some caveman from 10,000 years ago. And that's, that's one of the ways that I know that it is popular to be stupid these days. And unfortunately, it's people like that that say things like, you know, oh, the United States has a culture of freedom and liberty. And, 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 a neg and they use that as kind of a, a negative reference, like it's a, a negative culture, like it's something bad. They're not talking about it like it's something good. They're talking about it like it's something bad, like freedom and liberty, the ability to speak, the ability to engage, the ability to work, the ability to earn, the ability to build is, is wrong, basically, is what they're saying, if you pay attention. And is that what is that what the founding fathers were trying to do? Is that were they trying to create a culture of freedom and liberty? No, I don't think that they would see this as a culture of freedom and liberty at all, either positive or negative. They certainly wouldn't see it as a negative. But they they don't they I, I doubt very seriously they would say, oh, a culture of freedom and liberty. Yes, that's what we were trying to create, and it's po it's a good thing. So what were they trying to do? What is the Bill of Rights? If it's not a culture of freedom and liberty, what is it? It's a sacred right. It's an ancient right. That's it. It's not a culture at all. It's a fundamental, foundational, sacred right. And those rights are merely recognized by the Bill of Rights. They're not conferred by the Bill of Rights. They're not bestowed upon a population by the Bill of Rights. They're merely recognized. And to understand that, you have to actually read what the Founding Fathers wrote. You may not capture that the essence of that just by reading the Bill of Rights. Like I said before, the letters from the Founding Fathers are the instruction manual to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And we are going to flesh all this out as the podcast goes on. And then you will know, hopefully, that this is not a culture of freedom and liberty that we have in the United States. It is merely the recognition of sacred, ancient rights that transcend any cultural boundary. The only thing that stands in contrast against 
those ancient sacred rites is evil. And evil can exist in any culture, doesn't matter, including Western civilization, the British Empire. We've talked about that. It's a shadow of the empire. Evil is what stands against the Bill of Rights. Evil is what stands against sacred ancient rights. Tyranny is really just some manifestation of evil, after all, because it, it intends to harm people. The whole purpose of behind tyranny is to crush people, to control them, to manipulate their destiny, to manipulate their, their will, their drive, their spirit. That's what tyranny does. Is that not evil? Does that sound evil to you? Because it sounds evil to me. To other people, it sounds like music to their ears. They enjoy it. They like it. And usually it's people who are... One of two kinds of people really enjoy tyranny. I refer to it as, you know, I've talked about it before, as this lust for the tyrant. Like people who, like King George III, who was it really who lusted after the tyrant? It was a couple of different kinds of people. You have your quote-unquote elites, we've talked about them before. They lust after tyranny. I use the example of, you know, the people in the south of the United States, all the way up until about 1865, and frankly speaking, after that, to some degree, uh, largely isolated to the south of the United States, and, and flickers and glimmers elsewhere too, but mostly the south of the United States. The, uh, the elites like that, they, they lusted after tyranny. Why? Because it enriched them in some particular kind of way. They saw it as a means of obtaining even more wealth than they already had. Those kind of people enjoy evil, they enjoy tyranny. That's why I say you have to, you have to watch out for those character types that, that call themselves elites. Because better than nine times out of ten, they love the tyrant. They lust after the tyrant. You can't trust those people. You can't, and don't ever turn your back on them. Because if you do, it probably, in short order, you'll probably find a knife stuck in your back. The other kind of people that lust after tyranny are typically people who don't aspire to anything much at all. Beyond themselves. They don't aspire to anything bigger, anything greater. They don't endeavor to be an educated individual in the classical sense. They really live within the confines of their own tortured mind. And because of that, they don't like to see anybody else who aspires. They don't like to see other people be able to achieve, to aspire, to be educated in the classical sense. They don't like it. They hate it. So they lust after the tyrant so that they can use the tyrant as a lever to crush those people and bring them down to their level. So then you end up with your two classes of people, your haves and your have-nots, and nobody in the middle. This is why the American middle-income section of the country is so valuable, and always has been. It's, it's the people who are not particularly wealthy, but they aspire, so they work hard, and they have something. They manage to mark out some meager amount of wealth for themselves, whatever that is. Could be something simple, could be something bigger. But because, you know, these people who lust after the tyrant end up being these two classes of people, the people at the low end who aspire to absolutely nothing, and these quote-unquote elites who just use the tyrant to obtain more wealth and to empower the tyrant, of course. The tyrant likes those people because he can use their money, and he can use the, the power that they confer upon him to expand his power. And that's why, like in a feudal system in the, in, the, in the Dark Ages and whatnot, you end up with these lords and these vassals and these, um, these situations where you have these, these big landholders that really just drive everybody into surf, serfdom. You know, in, in Russia, for example, we had that split of the serfs, the peasant class down at the bottom, and then you had the people who mixed with the royalty up at the top, the czar and his people. Not a lot of folks in the middle, really. Uh, and that created a any number of problems, which eventually led to 1917, if you know what I'm talking about, and w which honestly just led to more tyranny. Uh, the, the Russia, unfortunately, has been a country cursed with tyranny. 
I really feel for the people of Russia on the one hand, but on the other hand, a lot of times they bring it upon themselves. They can't seem to figure out how to get out of it. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a circle of tyranny. They just can't escape. It's like a, it's got a tyranny in Russia has its own gravitational pull, and people can't break free of that orbit for some reason. It's, a, it's you honestly, if you're studying a group of people, uh, geopolitical, whatever. If you're if you're in college and you're studying this kind of thing, you could write your doctoral thesis on that gravitational pull of tyranny within the Russian Empire and Russia, the Soviet Union, so on and so forth. It's really a, a fascinating exploration into the, the stranglehold of tyranny over a long period of time, because it's been going on for hundreds of years in Russia, with seemingly without fail. And in part, it's because people lust after the tyrant. Uh, for for different reasons on two sides of the two sides of the coin, and people say that the United States needs to catch up with the rest of the world. In that regard, the United States needs to catch up with the Russias of the world, the tyrant. I mean, they won't say that now, of course. In other words, they won't use Russia as an example for obvious reasons, but that's what they mean. And is obviously that was not the intention behind the United States. The founding fathers would be rolling in their grave if they knew that this was the the modern battle cry of a certain segment of the United States of America because they 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 crafted this thing that eventually became the the freest country in the world eventually took a while but we, we kind of we got there eventually and it would really shock them to no end to see this this turn of events where people intend to try to drive this country closer to the world closer towards tyranny so when you when you hear people say things like, you know, the United States has a culture of freedom and liberty, pay attention to that word culture as it pertains to the Bill of Rights, because when they say that, they mean it in a negative way. They mean to change it, is what I'm saying. And that's not what the—obviously, if the Founding Fathers wanted that, the Bill of Rights wouldn't exist in the first place. So you have to make a choice. There's a decision to be made here. The, you know, when we lead, read these letters from our founding fathers, there's a decision always to be made. Do I side with the intention of these people, the men and the women of the founding generation? Because it's not just the men. We've, we've read Abigail Adams, and we will read more of Abigail Adams and other women like her on this podcast. It's, we're going to continue doing that. We're not done with Abigail Adams yet. And women like her. We're not done then. We're not done. So if somebody tries to characterize this as some kind of a weird, you know, patriarchal system of, cult, of a culture of freedom and liberty that's oppressive and blah, 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 some kind of a reverse oppression or whatever, whatever crazy crackpot thing that is that they try to try to sell you with, just understand that that's wrong because, you know, women like Abigail Adams were honestly, in some cases, much stronger proponents of separation of Constitution, Declaration of Independence, than, than a lot of the men were. For a prime example, that would be John Jay, in my opinion. John, based on the way I understand John Jay, he was a founding father. I, I think him to be a somewhat reluctant founding father. In other words, he wasn't fully sold on this idea in the beginning. Now, in the end, he was, I believe, based on some of the letters that I read from that guy. He seemed to be rather content with the result after it was all said and done. But in the beginning, not not quite as much, I don't think. I think in the beginning he was kind of on the fence, very much so. Now, was Abigail Adams on the fence? No, I don't gather that at all from reading her letters. I gather that she was quite the staunch proponent of uh, casting off the oppression of the British Empire and being done with it, uh, amongst other things. she uh, Abigail Adams is a fine character in history of... 
patriotism and having a spirit of freedom and liberty. So so again, if anybody tries to sell you on this concept, like, oh my gosh, this culture of freedom and liberty, it's really just some construct of the uh, the European male and blah, 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 blah. No. Not not even close. Keep keep digging, buddy, because that 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 ain't gonna sell. If you read the letters from the from the women of the founding generation, you're you're not gonna be able to sell that bill of goods to me or to anybody else who listens to this podcast. And again, if you ever wanted to know the value of this podcast, that there's a big piece of it right there, uh, amongst a, a multitude of other things. But yes, this choice that is to be made when you read these letters. As we continue reading the letters on this podcast, uh, you have to choose between: Do I support what these folks did? Or do I not? And honestly, I don't know how anybody reads these letters and ends up on the opposite end of the equation. In other words, ends up on the side of King George III. Because that's that's the choice. You're, you're deciding between the Founding Fathers or King George III and the, the tyrannical parliament that he was running over there in Great Britain. I mean, what's the middle ground to be had there? there I, don't, I don't see one. It's one or the other. And, and again, like I mentioned in a previous episode, be grateful that the contrast is so stark and that there's, uh, there's such a... Uh, a clear decision to be made between one and the other. There's not a, there's not a lot of gray in between there, so it's very difficult to get confused on this issue. It's one or the other. Now you would think for for those of for those uh, people who listen to this podcast overseas in countries besides the United States. Number one, thank you for listening to the founding fathers. I really appreciate it, and I know they would too. But it, again, it might surprise you that this battle even takes place in the United States. You might think to yourselves, "Well, I figured almost everybody in the United States would be a strong proponent of their own constitution and the Bill of Rights." Huh? Uh, unfortunately, you're wrong. There is a a battle taking place as I speak on everything it was that the Founding Fathers were trying to uh, to do. And it's, you know, the reason, part of the reason why there's this conflict is this misunderstanding about how the, how the real world actually functions. Because people in the United States have lived comfortable lives for a very long time, comfort has side effects and it has consequences. I, I've talked about this before. Because the people in the United States live, rel- even people who live hard lives in the United States live relatively comfortable lives. Like, like I've, I've not had it super easy my entire life. Uh, my life was not exactly handed to me on a silver platter necessarily, but I, di- I didn't exactly have it super hard. I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, like a lot of people in the United States, I, I, I kind of bounce around somewhere in the middle, but relatively comfortable compared to some of the rest of the world. But that has consequences, and for some, and some people can't handle it. Um, some people get complacent, and some people get arrogant. Some people get ignorant. Like I said, it's very popular in the United States to be stupid because people can. Uh, in a country where things are fairly comfortable and, and, and relatively easy consider compared to how they used to be in the past, not a lot of people have to go into the coal mines and work for 14 hours a day, basically is what I'm saying. So, you know, people people can just kind of eh, not put a lot of effort in, let's put it that way. So they forget how the real world works, and especially in one particularly egregious way, they forget that these people that are in government, for example, like King George III and the Parliament, because you can't leave out the parliament in Great Britain at this particular time. We're talking about 1774 to 75. These are dangerous people. King George III, of course, because he's a tyrant, because he's a king and he has a lot of power, the more power somebody has, the more dangerous they become. Do you understand that? It's very important to comprehend that point. The Founding Fathers knew that, which again is why the Constitution is so short and it gives the, the federal government in this country such a short leash, or at least it's supposed to. That's been violated. More on that later, but it's it's short for a reason because it's supposed to give the federal government a very short leash. 
The president's powers are very clearly defined in there for the most part, with a little bit of exception to that, but for the most part, they're very clearly defined. But just by if, if by no other means than the brevity of the Constitution alone, which is a little bit different than, say, oh, the Constitution of Germany after World War One. That Constitution wasn't nearly as brief. And what was the result of that? Well, you got Germany in the 1930s. That's why it's important to define things very sharply in a constitution and to limit the power of the central authority. Otherwise, you get Germany in the 1930s pretty much every time, in one form or another, varying degrees of that. But these are dangerous, dangerous people, King George III included, and, and the parliament, very dangerous. And that's the case all over the world anytime you have people elected to an office. I mean, and King George III obviously was not elected, but, you know, you can elect a parliament, and people do today. Great Britain still elects a parliament to this day, and so do many other countries. In the United States, we have this Congress. All of these people are dangerous, and I don't think that people understand that. Again, we get into this game where we play sides, like, one, one, like this side is mine, the other side is the enemy, and... I vote for my side, and other people vote for the other side, and we battle it out in the election, and we tear the country apart every four years. And we do this little dance where we try to maybe run the Constitution through a shredder a little bit here, and maybe the other side will run a little a different part of the Constitution through a shredder over there, and by the time we're done, we all have confetti and we can throw a, we can throw a party. That's, that's rather unproductive in the long term, and it's, it's, it's devastating to a country. You don't want to do that. And that may sound obvious when I say it, but this is what countries do today. And so if it were obvious, it wouldn't be happening. If it was, in other words, if it was obviously the wrong thing to do, people wouldn't be doing it, but people are. Um, but people get so busy playing sides, they forget that these people are very dangerous. When you go and you vote for somebody, you're voting for some, if you put them in office, they are, by, they are by default a dangerous, dangerous human being. And people don't act that way. They show up to a campaign rally after their guy wins or their gal, whoever, and they applaud. And they clap and they scream and they hoot and they holler uh, how wonderful it is. And then they take their hand off the wheel and they just let that dangerous individual set about doing dangerous things. I don't care what side they're on. And again, from my perspective, there's only one side in the United States. That's the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. That's it. That's the side that matters. Everything else is probably the wrong side. And some people think their side supports the Constitution. Some people think the other side supports the Constitution. This, that, and the other thing. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous game that we're playing and always remember that these people are very dangerous. I don't care. Again, I don't care which side is in power. I don't care who's president. And I don't care who's in Congress. I don't give a crap. They're, I mean, I do, but I don't. Uh, I do to the extent that they do their job properly, and I don't to the extent of, you know, picking sides. Because they're all dangerous. Every single one of them. If I were ever elected to Congress, I would be a dangerous individual. Why? Why do I say that? Because, and by the way, I, I'm not running for Congress if you get curious. Oh my gosh, is Roman running for Congress? No. But if I were, I'm just trying to make a point that I, I, would, even, I would even be dangerous. Even though I, I understand the Founding Fathers probably more than, I mean, there's 535 people in Congress. I probably understand the Founding Fathers better than any of them. And it's not easy to say that because there are a few smart people in Congress who know their stuff. But I doubt seriously they understand the Founding Fathers quite like I do because they don't spend their days doing this stuff. They don't spend their days reading these letters like I do. They've read some of the letters. They've read the Constitution. Some of them have. You'd be surprised how many people in Congress, by the way, have not read the Constitution in a very long time. But they read this stuff, but they, they've got other things that are their passion. And it's not reading letters from the Founding Fathers. It's my passion. It's not their passion. So I, I tend to be a little bit better on this than they are. Only because of that. Not because I'm smarter than they are, but just because I spend so much doggone time doing this. But even I would be dangerous. 
Why? Because just simply because I'm there. And there's always the potential to do something wrong that violates the Constitution, violates the Declaration of Independence, violates the Bill of Rights, and takes people's liberty away from them. Anybody who has the potential to do that is a dangerous, dangerous human being. And they should be watched very, very closely. And don't you ever, ever turn your back on these people. I mean that to say, not in the context of betraying somebody, but turn your back on them as, as, as in take your eye off the ball. Because if you do, chances are... It's not going to take very long before they stab you in the back. That's a controversial thing to say. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you serious? You really think that all 535 members of Congress are dangerous people? How dare you, sir? How dare you say something like that? You, you, you unbelievable lunatic. Yeah, I know. But it's just the truth. If the, and the Founding Fathers agree with me. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you? How dare you say that the Founding Fathers agree with you? How dare you say that you can speak for the Founding Fathers? How dare you? Well, you want to know how I can say that? Because again, that Constitution is so short. And it's so limiting in scope. If the founding fathers didn't think that the that the, that these people would be dangerous, they would have they would have put all kinds of crap in that constitution. And by the way, there would be no bill of rights. There would be no ten amendments to that constitution right out of the gate. Only took a couple of years for them to do the bill of rights right after the constitution was ratified. Did they do that because they thought that these people were angels in Congress? And these were these were their people. This was the founding generation that was in Congress at the time. This was them we're talking about here. Those people are far better than me. And they thought they were dangerous. So they put the Ten Amendments in there. That's how I know the Founding Fathers agree with me. Or more specifically, that I agree with them. Because they were first, obviously. I agree with the Founding Fathers on this, that all 535 members of the United States Congress are dangerous human beings. Those nine members of the Supreme Court, dangerous. President of the United States, dangerous. Oh my gosh, Roman, it's so... Oh my gosh, how dare you? How dare you say that about your own government? Well, you know what? Again, the Founding Fathers said the same thing. The moment, the moment that those, that the, that those ten amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, were ratified, the United States of America said, you people are dangerous. It's as if the entire country in unison, spoke up with one loud voice and told the United States government, and frankly, the state governments too, you are dangerous. I do not trust you. So here's these Ten Amendments to remind you, you sick lunatics, you do not cross these lines. And those amendments did not create those rights. The First Amendment did not create the, the right to freedom of speech, the right to freedom of religion, expression, and all the rest of it. The Second Amendment did not create the right to keep and bear arms. The Third Amendment did not create this, this right to private property to exclude soldiers of a standing army. They didn't create those rights. They, they were merely a mechanism to remind everybody of those rights that already existed, those sacred, ancient rights. And the reminder was necessary because these people are dangerous. The shadow of the empire included. And what do I mean when I say the shadow of the empire? You know, I believe that, and I, I, I mentioned it in the previous episode, that this, that every branch of the British Empire, the United States included, has this, this streak of tyranny running right through its DNA. And I don't mean the DNA of the individual people. I mean the DNA, the spirit of the nation. And that's different than individual people. Individual people don't really have anything running through their DNA except DNA. People are people, and that's it. But every country has a kind of undercurrent to it. And again, and I, I say that having read a lot of history, like, like I said, about the British Empire, going back quite a long ways. The Roman Empire was very similar, by the way. But there, it seems it's always this perpetual battle in the British Empire between tyranny and liberty. 
There, there's a lot of that back and forth throughout the centuries. A lot of it, just constant. It's always there. It's always kind of simmering in the background, and sometimes it's it's loud. The tyranny just boils over. That's the undercurrent of the British Empire, and it's still the undercurrent of Great Britain today. It's not changed. It never will. It'll always be there. I don't know why. It's just the way societies work. And in the United States, it's the exact same thing. We're no different than the people in Britain. Not really. We just happen to have one great generation, once upon a time, that managed to extract itself away from that tyranny. But it was a part of that internal battle within the British Empire, because that's who we were. We were the British Empire, a part of it. And that was our government. And that was our military that was set against us. And people think it can't happen again. They think that the United States military could never be sent against the American people to murder them. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. The American military is dangerous. And the Founding Fathers agree with me. More specifically, again, I agree with them. Now, how do I know that? Because we've read so many letters how the Founding Fathers hated a standing army. They hated it. We read, we read something from John Adams that celebrated the fact that the standing army didn't exist at one point in time in the United States. And it basically didn't. For a long time, the standing army in the United States was a joke. All the way up until about World War II. Right before World War I, the, the United States military, I mean, you might as well just say it didn't exist. Because it was, it was a joke. It was a laughing joke of a military. And for good reason. That spirit of being suspicious of a standing army survived in the United States for quite a long time. We've only gotten comfortable with it recently because it's been around for so long, since World War II. And that was just out of necessity. We didn't disarm after World War II quite like we did after every other war. It didn't happen that way. And there's reasons for that. Good reasons. I don't disagree with it. Like I said, it's necessary. It's, it's, an, it's an unfortunate part of the world that we belong in. But the United States military and every standing military in the world is dangerous. Just ask the people who will be honest about it, who were, in, who were at Tiananmen Square in China way back when. That wasn't the police that shot and killed those people. That was shooting people in the back as they were trying to run away that next day. That was the military that did that. And we know that because of the tank man, the guy who stood in front of the tank. Where do you think that tank came from? That was the military. You think the United States military, the British military, the French military, the German military can never be sent out to murder their own people again? It's been done before. The French military has done it before. The German military has done it before. The British military has done it before. The only one that really hasn't is the United States military in any significant way. But do you think that can't happen? Every other country has done it. Literally every other country on the planet that I can think of, right off the top of my head, any country of consequence has already done it. They've already sent their military out to murder their own people. The Russian military used to do this for fun on a Friday night. I'm not making that up. I mean, Friday night, I mean, it could have been a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I don't know what, but we've talked about that before. Ivan the Terrible. I mean, people know know the name Ivan the Terrible, at least most people do, because even that, even even most people have some passing familiarity with, with these historical names. But some pe a lot of people don't understand just how evil that, that sick, twisted freak was. I mean, he, he literally sent his army out to murder people just for his own personal satisfaction. The Russian military is notorious for this throughout history. Not the first or the last time that happened, by the way, just saying. Uh, this seems to be a trend. And again, because we're comfortable in the United States, we think it can't happen here. Now, now how the people in Europe forget about this, because seemingly the people in Europe, and you people in Europe, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Leave a review on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, if you think I'm wrong about this. But the people in Europe seem to have forgotten about this as well. And this happened not very long ago for them. I mean, relatively speaking, in some cases it was about 80 years ago, in some cases it was about, oh, 120 years ago, and in some cases it was a little bit longer than that, but this has happened before, multiple times. 
Now, what's the purpose of this episode of the podcast? Is it to be Mr. Doom and Gloom? No. Uh, unfortunately, again, I, I've talked about this before. If you don't have any stomach for this, this kind of commentary, this probably is not going to be the podcast for you because we are in a dark time on this podcast, 1774 to 75. And I have to explain why this happened, why the Founding Fathers believed that fighting a shooting war was necessary. Now, they didn't start it. I've said that before. The British Empire, with their military, started the shooting war. The Founding Fathers just decided to keep it going and not give up, not surrender. So why did they feel it was necessary to do that? And how did that whole thing play out? It's, it's a very dark period in history when people set about killing each other quite like this happened in the founding of the United States. It's very dark history. It's not happy times. It's not fun times. It, there's nothing particularly glorious about it, except that people stood up and defended their rights, which is always a good thing. It's unfortunate that it had to come to a shooting war. Very unfortunate. I wished it didn't have to be that way. But, you know, we will talk about happier times later on in this podcast. There's going to be some happier times when the Constitution gets ratified, when the war ends, and some other times thereafter. And there's also going to be some more conflict that comes later on in the podcast as well. But right now isn't the time for happy times. 1774 to 75 is just dark, dark history. People, people are, we're getting ready to enter a period of time where many thousands of people are going to die. And I take that seriously. Other people who talk about the, the history of the Founding Fathers, they kind of gloss over it. Um, whether they're for or against the Founding Fathers, they both tend to gloss over it, but for different reasons. The, the people who support the Founding Fathers who gloss over it, they, 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 they tend to skip over it a little bit because, again, they think of the Founding Fathers as, as mythology. And they, they think, you know, the country just kind of happened because of the, somebody signed a Declaration of Independence, and then that was kind of it, and then eventually a constitution. Of course, they, they, they acknowledge the war happened, but they don't acknowledge the gruesome details of it. And they don't like to talk about, especially, a country's own military being sent out to murder them. They don't like to talk about that. But that's exactly what happened, and you, you can understand why. It's not politically correct to talk about it. But on this podcast, we don't give a rat's rear end what's politically correct. We just care about real history. This is not the fake history podcast, and this is not the feel-good history podcast. This is the real history podcast. The other side that's against the Founding Fathers likes to gloss over this because they like to pretend like the United States was handed down on a silver platter to people who were rich farmers or lawyers, and they had all the money, and they were just trying to keep their tax money so they didn't have to send it to Britain and blah, 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 blah. And they were basically trying to, you know, manipulate the system and for their own their own economic advantage, blah, 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 blah. We've demonstrated on this podcast that that's largely complete crap, and believe me, that will become much more apparent as this podcast goes on and we continue to read some of these letters. Now, I've mentioned it with George Washington. How easy would it have been for that man to have been captured or killed by the British Army? Easy. It's a miracle it didn't happen, frankly. But he went out there and did it anyway. He wasn't a headquarters hero, George Washington. That man was on his horse and in the field with his uh, with his soldiers vast majority of the time. And he didn't go back to his house in Virginia uh, very much at all during the war. He stayed out there for the most part. He didn't have to, but he did. But I, I this the purpose of this podcast is really to, again, put into context what the Founding Fathers were really doing and why they did it, because there is a lot of confusion today. I have to address the confusion, otherwise I'm not doing anybody a service by ignoring this, this discussion that happens today, where the Bill of Rights are characterized as some kind of a cultural construct that is negative, like it's some bad thing that happened. There's, there's a reason for 
every single one of those amendments in the Bill of Rights. There's a reason for every single one of them. They all have a purpose, and they all tie in very, very directly to what the Founding Fathers were trying to do. It was very deliberate, and it has everything to do with stopping tyranny and addressing the dangers of these people, King George III, the Parliament, the United States Congress. These people are dangerous, and the Bill of Rights was designed to address that danger and those people. And this is not unique to the United States. In every country around the world, your elected parliament, your prime minister, whoever, whatever, these are dangerous people. And in some countries, that's very clear. In North Korea, it's very clear. Not a lot of election going on over there. Um, if there is some farcical election, kind of like Iraq back in the day with Saddam Hussein, who gets like 98% of the vote, whatever it was back in the day. President Saddam Hussein was elected 98% of the vote. Yeah, those are, those are farcical elections. They don't really mean anything. We know that those people are dangerous. It's very clear. You know, in the Western world and in, in some other places, it's a little bit more ambiguous for some reason, but only because people don't understand history. The only reason why it's not quite clear to most people that their prime minister or their parliament is dangerous is just because they haven't cracked open a history book and actually read the frickin' thing. That's it. The only reason I know all this stuff is because, again, I've just listened to what the Founding Fathers have told me, and I, I pay close attention to what they did. And again, you can you can think to because if you don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Bill of Rights and why it was actually put there, you might think, oh, it was just put there because, you know, they wanted to they wanted to tell everybody that, hey, you got the freedom of speech, blah, 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 because, you know, to educate the people. You think the people didn't know that? That's not the purpose of the Bill of Rights. The purpose of the Bill of Rights was to address the danger in the government. That's the whole point. The people knew they had those rights. The people already spoke their mind. The people already had their arms. They already didn't want soldiers being quartered in their house. And they already didn't want cruel and unusual punishment and the unreasonable search of the papers and all that. They already knew all that crap. It's those dangerous people in government that sometimes forget, wink, wink. They, they, in other words, they don't forget. They, they know. They just don't care. Some of them do, some of them don't. It, kinda, it ebbs and it flows. At any given time, you know, in Congress, you've got, a, you've got some people up there who really get it, and they're really, good, they're really good folks, and they mean well. Some of them do stupid things, even though they mean well. And then you've got another group in there that really just don't care. And it, again, it doesn't matter what side. Some people are going to say, well, my side cares. Yeah, sure they do, buddy. I'm sure your side really cares about the Constitution. Not really. It just depends. It depends on the individual. I, I wouldn't. Th again, you can't break these people up into these monolithic groups and say that this group over here is perfect and this group over here sucks. No, it doesn't work that way. Real, the real world doesn't work that way. So you gotta, so you gotta stop picking sides and just start playing the Constitution. Just, just stick with that and use that as your benchmark. That's probably the better way to go. That's what the founding fathers would do, in my opinion. But it's an educated opinion at that. So, thank you for joining me on this discussion of the uh, the culture of freedom and liberty in the United States, as some people put it. I don't put it that way, but some people do, uh, quite incorrectly. Again, we're talking about ancient, sacred rights of the people that shall not be manipulated or overthrown by any government or any people anywhere. And we're also talking about uh, the dangers that exist out there in the world and the uh, the shadow of the British Empire and all the rest of it. And we're going to continue to talk about that in 1774 to 75. This is a great time period to talk about it. It is rough. It is dark. It is leading to a, an even darker place where people die. It's never fun when people go to war. It's never fun when people die like this. It's very it's very disturbing. And it troubles me greatly some of the suffering that had to happen during this particular period of time. It really does. Uh, I don't um, I don't revel in the 
Revolutionary War and the death that came along with it. It was unfortunately necessary for a people to be free, but that's all it was, was an unfortunate necessity. And that, that was only because the British Empire made it that way. If the British Empire just would have, again, listened to reason, it wouldn't have needed to happen. So let's continue down this journey, uh, this down this road, so to speak, and let's continue on with uh, the letters from the Founding Fathers. I got another long-form episode coming from Benjamin Franklin's letters. I got a couple letters that I really like for the next episode that I think are going to be very informative from Mr. Franklin. Very sharp guy, as always. So I hope to see you on that episode of the podcast, and I hope you will join me here as we uh, continue our discussions on these issues and we continue to educate ourselves together on our study group. And with all of that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.